Welcome to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. I'm Pastor Roland Kennison, and I want to thank you for listening. Rosemont Baptist Mission is passionately bringing people face-to-face with the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. It's our prayer that through this podcast, you'll hear our passion for the gospel and that you will truly experience the transformation that only Jesus can bring. I pray you find the following sermon encouraging and challenging and that it will build you up in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. And one more thing before we begin. If any of the sermons on our podcast have been helpful to you, would you please let us know? It would be a great help and blessing to us to know that this ministry is being used by God in your life and ministry. Would you tell us where you're located and specifically how this ministry has helped you? We greatly anticipate hearing from you. You can simply email your response to pastor at rosemontbaptist.org. Now, let's begin our time today. We're going to be in Hosea 14. Hosea is a little bit difficult to find. It is right after the major prophets, which would be Ezekiel. I mean, sorry, Daniel would be right before it. And so uh, it, it's, uh, you might have to turn to your table of contents and find Hosea. We're going to be in the last chapter of Hosea this morning. We're going to be, in a few weeks, doing a sermon series on really about discipleship. And uh, this week and next week are almost foundational to that in talking about what is, what is a Christian walk and what does it mean to live in this life. And so, let's look in Hosea 14, and we're going to read the whole chapter. And let's look what God has to tell us through His Word. Hosea 14. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously that we may present the fruit of our lips. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say again, our God, to the works of our hands. For in you the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will bloom like the lily, and he will take root like the cedars of Lebanon. His shoots will sprout, and his beauty will be like the olive tree, and his fragrance like the cedars of Lebanon. Those who live in his shadow will rise will again rise, raise grain, and they will blossom like the vine. His renown will be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like a luxurious, luxuriant cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous will walk in them, but the transgressors will stumble in them. Let's pray this morning. God, we come to you and ask that you would be the the surgeon of our heart this morning. That you would shine the light of your truth into our lives, and you would expose any sin that should not be there. If there's anyone here today, God, who does not know you, I pray that today you would burden them with the truth of salvation and forgiveness and eternity, and they would turn to you. And for anybody here, God, who is a believer... I pray that you would root out any, anything that does not belong in our lives. Teach us this morning 
through this, and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. The August 1991 issue of Runner's World, and no, I don't get Runner's World. You can tell I'm no longer a runner, but the 1991 issue of Runner's World told the story of Beth Ann DeCiantis. She was competing to make the Olympics in the marathon. To make the Olympics in a marathon, the women have to run the 26 miles, 385-yard race in two hours and 45 minutes. I could maybe do it in 45 days, but I couldn't do it in two hours and 45 minutes. But she was there to compete and to qualify for the Olympics. She took off running, and she did pretty well for the first 23 miles, and then she started to struggle. She had a hard time keeping up, but she kept going and running, and she turned the final straightaway at two hours and 43 minutes. She had two minutes to get down this straightaway to make the Olympics. And she ran and was running, and she stumbled and fell 200 yards from the finish. She was dazed, and she stayed down for 20 seconds. And the crowd was yelling, get up, get up. And the clock was ticking at 2 hours and 44 minutes. And she was laying down on the track with less than a minute to go. Northern Israel was in the exact same place. Northern Israel had been running a race, so to speak, and they had fallen, and they had fallen hard, and they were laying on the track of life, so to speak. And God was telling them, get up. Because the clock is running out. Time is running out. And like Beth Ann DeCientis, they had a decision to make. Do they stay on the ground, stay where they fell, or do they get up and finish the race? Hosea was the last voice that God sent to the northern tribes of Israel. Israel had a problem, and their problem, the long and short of it was, their problem was idolatry. Their, their problem was a spiritual adultery. They were playing around with other gods. They wanted this thing and that thing, and so they would go to this God, and maybe this false God would provide something. Or they wouldn't fully commit to the Lord. They still wanted to fiddle around with their false gods. And God had grown tired of it. And so he sends them prophets to speak to them, and they still wouldn't listen. So he sends them Hosea. And Hosea's life, if you begin at the beginning of Hosea, his life is an object lesson of what God is going through. That there is this husband whose wife is playing the harlot, and she is sleeping around with other men, but he loves her. And she's sold into slavery. He goes and he buys back his adulterous wife. She has children from different people. And this is God saying, this is how I feel about my people. They are cheating on me. And so he sends them Hosea. And that's why Hosea 14 is important, because this is the last thing God's telling them. This is the last message. This is their last chance. After this, there's nothing else. God gives them a message. They must either respond to this message, or they will suffer the consequences. And so like in northern Israel, we are in a race as well. And this race is what we call life. And in this life, we have sinned. You can believe that you have not, but the truth of the matter is, 
when God looks at humanity, he sees people who are rebellious at their heart and are stained with sin. And it's a fact of life. We are full of sin. And so in this race we call life, we have fallen down and we are laying on the track and time is running out. The clock is ticking and the question is, what will you do? Will you lay on the track as time runs out or will you get up and move on? And so that's what we're going to talk about today when we look at Hosea. And to finish our race, I want to tell us, first of all, we must get up. Look in verses 1 through 3. The first thing is that if we have fallen in sin and we are on the track, we have to get up. And what do I mean by get up? Look at the first word that's used in in verse 1 of chapter 14. It says, return. It says return. It is the idea of not only turning from the direction you're going, that we're going in this direction. It's not only the idea of turning, but it's talking about coming back and the extent that we come back. You know, if you're away from home and you're driving far away, you know, you're, you're traveling across states, you turn around to come back, but you're not home turning around. Coming home means coming back all the way. That is this word return. Come back all the way to where the Lord wants you to be. And it's the same picture we use when we talk about repentance. This return is not talking about only direction, but extent of the action. And God calls us to come all the way back. So how do we return to the Lord? What does repentance look like? Well, first of all, Repentance means we accept responsibility for our sins. We accept responsibility for our sin. Look in verse 1. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Look what it says. For you have stumbled because of your iniquity. We have stumbled. And that is an understatement. It's an understatement. In fact, the Scripture says we are dead in our sins. It's like we have been knocked out and dead laying on the track. And the word, word stumbled here in, in, uh, in verse 1, it's the idea that there's a man who is in perfect shape who has tripped and he has fallen and all his strength has left him because his wounds have have been are so severe that he cannot he doesn't have the energy to get up that is our condition and so to begin with we must accept the fact that iniquity or sin is what's caused us to stumble we live in in, in a world where that message is countercultural right that the idea that you must accept responsibility from your sin is one of the greatest hurdles we have in sharing our faith. Because if there's someone out there who does not believe they have any sin, then they don't know the bad news. And so there's no good news to hear. We live in a culture where it's everyone's fault but mine. We live in a culture of victimhood. And this accepting responsibility for our sins is the first step out of victimhood. To say, it is not the government's fault. It's not the school's fault. It's not my parents' fault. It's not my neighbor's fault. It is mine. I have sinned against God. It is me who is rebellious against the Lord. We cannot say that our spiritual condition is what someone else done to me. It can't, it's not the church we grew up with. It's not, you, you can't even blame God for your sin. God, you did this to me, and so I'm rejecting you. Psalm 32.5 says this, I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. 
And I said, look what it says, I, can, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And then the psalm says, Selah, which is a lot of people believe, we don't know what that word means, but a lot of people think that means stop and think about that. I confess my iniquity and you forgave me. God's forgiveness begins with accepting responsibility for your sin. And after we have understanding and, and that we have sins, we take responsibility for it. We, take, we make an honest confession of that. Look what it says in verse 2. Take words with you. When, when you return to, to God, don't go empty-handed. Take words with you, it says. Take words and return to the Lord and say to him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously that we may present the fruit of our lips. I love the imagery. It's the idea of taking words with you. Like you've, you, you almost picture the, the prodigal son who is, who is in the slop of, of a pigsty, this Jewish kid eating the same food that unclean animals are eating. And he says, I'll go back and I'll tell my father this and this and this and he'll accept me. Even slaves at his house get better food than the pigs. So he's going back and he's practicing those words and when he gets back to the father, he says the exact same thing that he was practicing. He, he, he thought about these words and he took them back to the father and he presented these words to him and the father didn't bring him back as a slave but as a full son. That's the picture. It's the picture of confession. Confession is not going to a human priest and telling him all your sins. Confession is going to God and saying the same thing about your sin as God would say about it. And if we have other gods in our life, we go, God, I've committed spiritual adultery with you. I've been playing around with other, other gods. Or I've been lying, or I've been prideful, or whatever. And it's going to God and not making excuses, but just laying it out and saying, this is what you would say about it, and I'm going to say the same thing that you do. That's confession. And he says when we do that, the, the request is, take away all iniquity, receive us graciously. And Scripture tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We accept responsibility for our sin, and then we say the same thing about our sin as God does. We make an honest confession. But then we also need to let go of false gods. Look in verse 3. We need to let go of our false gods. Assyria will not save us, we will not ride on horses, nor will we say again, our God, to the work of our hands, for in you the orphan finds mercy. This was Israel's core issue, and to be honest, it's our core issue. Either God is our God and we follow him, or he is not and something else is our God. It is the core issue it is the pride that says, I will not follow the Lord. I will follow whatever else comes my way, my thought, or, or whatever. And so we follow after that. This was Israel's core problem. They trusted in all kinds of things. Assyria here, that's a reference to political alliances as a source of salvation. They were looking to a foreign country, and maybe Assyria will save us from this country because Egypt and Assyria were, were always at war, and Assyria would come down and trample over Israel as they fought Egypt, and then Egypt would come and trample over Israel as they fought Assyria, and they would just constantly be at battle. So they said, maybe if we make alliance with Assyria, that's who will save us but political alliances don't save anybody. Maybe horses will, and the horses is a reference to Egypt. 
that other military power. So it's, it's maybe their military power in Egypt will save us from Assyria. Who, what agreement? Who do, should we align ourselves with? What, what is going on politically? Surely politics will save us. I hope if we've learned nothing else that the politics of this world does not save even if someone's in the office we agree with, it's not salvation. The salvation is only provided by the Lord. And then here, the works of our hands talks about how they would carve idols out of wood and stone, and they'd worship the creation instead of the creator, and they worshiped idols. Now, we may not have little carved stone idols or wooden idols, but we have our idols, and if we are to return to the Lord, we must let go of them. Maybe it's our reputation. I don't want to be one of those Christians because those guys are weird, and I need to let it go. Or maybe if I become a Christian, i got to let go of my lifestyle that I like. Joshua tells the people of God in Joshua 24, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. If it's disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourself today whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers, which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites and the land you're living, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. For those who have never trusted in Christ, getting up off the ground means turning your life over to Christ. Your entire life. Everything about it. Your idea of recreation, the idea of how you spend money, the idea of how you parent, the idea of, of um, how you spend your time and how you work and what your work ethic is and how you pay your taxes. I mean, everything becomes the Lord because when a king is king, he is king of all. And so we look to him, and that means we ex accept responsibility for our sin, we confess it, and we let go of our gods, and we begin the process of returning. Those of us who are believers, we're going to stumble and we fall into sin, and we cannot stay in that sin. This last year, it was easy to get into sin and stay in it. We weren't coming to church all the time. We could stay home and not have accountability people in our lives. It was easy to slip into sin. And we do that sometimes, but falling into sin doesn't condemn anybody. Staying in it does. There was a visitor at a, at a fishing dock wondering how deep the water was, and he asked an old fisherman who was sitting there, if I were to fall in this water, would I drown? And the old fisherman said, no, falling in the water doesn't drown anybody. Staying under, it does. And that is the same truth with sin. Falling in sin doesn't condemn anybody, but staying under it is where the problem is. We've heard too often about Christian ministries and ministers who've fallen in their sin because their unwillingness to get out from under sin. Some in the news recently, that's heartbreaking. I personally knew a man who worked at a Christian ministry for 15 years who embezzled $900,000 over the course of those 15 years. Really good guy, but under sin. And it ruined his ministry, his life, put strain on his marriage because he would not get out from under sin. And you know what? We could point fingers all day, but that's not the problem. The problem is right here. What sin am I staying under? What sin is in my life that I refuse to let go of? 
That is the question. And that's the, the point of this, this message God gave to them. It is accepting responsibility for my sin and you res- accepting responsibility for yours. We have, a, we have temptation from a world that wants us to be more and more like them. We have an enemy who prowls around like a hungry tiger looking for someone to devour. And we have our own flesh within us tempting us to not follow the Lord. But if you are a believer, you have the Holy Spirit residing in you, and greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world, the Scripture says. Getting up after falling down in sin means we accept responsibility for our sin, we confess our sin, and honestly say the same thing about our sin as God does. Getting rid of those idols that are trying to keep us down. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, we destroy them. People of northern Israel, they were on the verge of being destroyed. This was their last message, and God says, you need to get up. But he also told them, after you get up, you need to get your wounds cleaned. Like a coach of a runner who's lying on the track to take care of them, God picks them up or would pick them up if they wanted and would clean their wounds. In fact, God says, I will heal their apostasy in verse 4. And it sees sin as a disease that only God can cure. He says, I will clean you. So if we have sin, how do we get that cleaned first? First we read, God will receive us. Look in verse 4. Great verse. I, when they return and bring all these words with them and accept their sin and get rid of their gods, he says, I will heal their apostasy. Even Israel, who was consumed with false idols, they had evil kings. Every king Israel had, they, it was an evil king. And, and they, they never followed the Lord. And he says, but if you will return, I will heal your apostasy because our God is gracious and full of mercy and loving kindness. He says, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely for my anger has turned away from them if they would return and confess and let go of their idols. It's unearned favor. I know it sounds like I just said But God loves us, and he loves us not because we've done anything to earn it. He wants to forgive. He wants to. He says, it's here, available, and I will love you freely, and I will will take away your iniquity. Not because we deserve it. Not because we're so good of people, but because we're rotten to the core. That he will take it away, and he loves us. And because of his love, he will heal our sin and turn his anger from us. Romans 5.8 says God demonstrates his own love toward us. God shows us his love in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we got our life in such a good spot that God says, okay, now you can accept God's forgiveness. In the muck and mire of our sin, Christ died for us so that we could become a child of God. We receive the forgiveness of, of sins. He could turn his anger from us because his wrath then is poured out on Jesus Christ. God will receive you. It doesn't matter what your past has been. It doesn't matter who your parents were. It doesn't matter how you've lived up to this point. God will receive you when you turn to him. But we also see he not only receives us, God will restore us. Look in verse 5 through 7. 
I'll be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like the lily, and he'll take root like the cedars of Lebanon. His shoots will sprout. His beauty will be like the olive tree, his fragrance like the cedars of Lebanon. Those who live in his shadow will again raise grain, and they will blossom like the vine. His renown will be like the wine of Lebanon." He uses some really beautiful poetic languages here, language here using eight uh, pictures, eight similes, eight figures to see what it's like to be restored. The image of dew is, is life to those who live in arid climates. The roots of cedars of Lebanon is, is the picture of stability. God references sprouts and the vine and wine, and they're all images of fruitfulness. The picture of the olive tree is, is beauty as it has these very delicate, white, beautiful flowers in this arid land. The fragrance of the cedars of Lebanon has to do with really influence. You know, when there's a cedar chest in the room, you open it up, it kind of fills the room with that smell. I mean, they're, they're very beautiful and relatable images to show God's people are going to be restored to life, restored to stability, restored to fruitfulness, restored to penetrate this world using their influence for the kingdom of God. And we fall into sin. When we fall into sin, when we are lying on the track thinking there's no way we can continue on, we've just blew it. There's no way I can continue. God says, I will receive you and I will restore you if you let go of your idols and turn from your sin. He says, I will restore your life and I will restore stability in your life and I will restore fruitfulness and I will restore influence into your life. Psalm 83 says, O God, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us and we will be saved. That should be our prayer. And that's what Jesus came for. Jesus came not to punish people, not to beat us down and keep us underfoot. He says in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is about restoration. He is about restoration, restoring you, restoring me, restoring our stability and our fruitfulness. And he's not just in the process of restoring you and me. He's in the process of restoring everything. Listen to Acts chapter 3. Peter preaches, therefore repent and return. This might be Stephen, I'm sorry. So that your sins may be wiped away. Repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Hear that restoration? We turn, we repent and turn. Our sins are wiped away and refreshing comes that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. God has Jesus sitting on the throne next to him, waiting till it's time, until the restoration happens. God will receive us, and he'll restore us. And then we're up, he's restored us, and we continue on. Verse 8 shows us that God will sustain us. Look what it says, O Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am a luxuriant cypress. From me comes your fruit. He uses some rhetorical questions here, and God says, I am done with you playing idols. I'm done with it, Ephraim. Plug your name in there, if that works. Roland, what more do I have to do with idols? It is incompatible in your life to have me and idols 
they got to be removed, God says. Because these idols are not providing for you. It is I, God says, who answers and look after you. A piece of wood cannot protect you. A piece of wood does not give you sustenance for the day. A piece of rock will not make sure that you have the blessings of God in your life. It is God, he says. From me comes your fruit. We must come to understand it as well. If we're going to follow faithfully after the Lord, we need to come to a place where we understand that our well-being, our sustenance, our lives, all of that is sustained by God. It is not the government. It is not the job that we have. It is God who provides. Now, jobs are good. There is a place for government in life. And they do some things good and some things, or a lot of things, not good. But it is God who sustains us. Psalm 54, 4 says, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my soul. The creator and sustainer of life Our God is the one who sustains us, who gives us what we need, when we need it, how we need it. And he doesn't sustain us at some sort of minimal amount. I'm not a prosperity gospel person, so I'm not talking money, but we just don't get what we need to get by in life. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. He gives us abundant life. A.T. Pearson told a story about a clockmaker who had this clock that he made for a, a town, and he, this clockmaker never got paid. He, it was this work of art, and people were marveled by it, but the town never paid him, and he kept sending them requests for payment, and they would never pay. So he went up to the clock, and he reached into that clock, and he touched some sort of spring, and the clock stopped. And people, craftsmen from everywhere, came to look at this clock to try to make it work, and they couldn't make it work. And then this clockmaker got his payment. (laughs) The town said, maybe we should pay him. And so he went to the clock again, and he reached in, and he touched that secret spring, and the clock sprung to life, and it started working again. And by touching that and making it stop and touching it and making it start again, he proved he was not only... The, the maker of that clock. He was the master of that clock. And that's the story of God in our lives. When we have fallen and we need to get up and our coach comes over, so to speak, and cleans our wounds and stands us up, we need him to heal all our apostasy. And he reaches into the secret springs of our life and he wipes it away. When he forgives us, we're forgiven completely. If we want real life and real stability, we need God's touch. We need him to reach in and remove that forgiveness, of, uh, uh, remove that sin and receive his forgiveness. If we want mon- ministry full of fruit and life and stability, We need God's touch. If we want to be a powerful influence individually and as a church, we need God to come in and clean us and heal all our apostasy. To be sustained by God. We need to get up. We need to get our wounds clean. And verse 9 tells us we need to continue on. Look at what it says. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. And the righteous will walk in them, but the transgressors will stumble in them. This is the overall message of the book of Hosea. 
It's the final step of following after the Lord, remaining in the Lord, staying alive in, in, in God's realm, so to speak. Hosea tells us there are two ways in life. There are two ways in life. We can hear God's word, the good news of Jesus Christ, and we can respond to that, or we can stumble in it. We can walk down the road of what the word of God tells us about Jesus and find the destination that he has promised, the the righteousness of Jesus, or we can go down our own independent way, rejecting what the Word of God has to say, and in the end of the destination, we find punishment and wrath and death. Matthew tells us, Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. And the question is, what road are you on? Are you on the road to life? Through the narrow gate, found only through Jesus Christ, surrendering your life to Him? Or are you on the road that everyone else seems to be on? Finding your own way listening to what you want, living your life for you, playing with false idols, wallowing in sin, all the while leading to death and destruction. There are two ways in life. And and the one you're on is simply a matter of faith. It's a matter of faith. Hosea chooses to end this book not by appealing to our emotions, not talking about our intellect and how much knowledge we have. He goes right to our will and he says, choose who you're going to serve. Choose to turn from your idols and turn from sin and go all in for God. Believe what the word of God says. It says here, there is wise. Let him understand. Whoever's discerning, let them know them. But the righteous will walk in them. They have chosen to live a life walking, believing what the word of God says. Joshua told us earlier, choose this day whom you will serve. And we read when Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it is by grace you have been saved. And look at the words, through faith. And that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so no one can boast. God's grace is available to you, and it's not because of your works that it's available to you. It's available to you, period. But it's available through faith. Trusting in the Lord, trusting in what He did on the cross instead of what you might try to do to earn God's favor. In another place, Paul said in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. This belief, it doesn't mean you just believe Jesus exists. That's not the bar. It's not intellectual assent. I believe there was a person named Jesus. You might be there, but that does not mean you are saved. Faith is trusting in Jesus' shed blood on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin because I can't do it. And saying, If God, I stood before God and he said, why should I let you into my heaven? Instead of saying, well, I've been to church most of my life and I was baptized and I read the Bible and I pray and and I give money and I'm a pretty decent person. Instead of saying all that, that is trusting in your works to get into eternity. It's saying, why should I let you into my heaven? You might say, you shouldn't. 
but on the name of Jesus Christ, I trust in what he did for me. And I believe because he did that for me, that you have forgiven me. It is trusting in Christ's work on the cross. And salvation is available. And forgiveness for believers is available. It's already been achieved, but sometimes we like to hold on to it. This unforgiveness. But God's ready to forgive and receive and restore and bring salvation. But the scripture says in Romans 10, 13, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. When we are knocked down from sin, we need to get up, get our wounds clean, and we need to continue on and live our life for God. Do you remember Beth Ann DeCantis? I started with her story. Some of you haven't listened to anything I said because you're still concerned about her laying on the track. She was trying to finish 26 miles and 385 yards in two hours and 45 minutes. And at 200, two, two hours and 44 minutes, she was laying on the track 200 yards short and the clock was ticking. Beth Ann staggered to her feet and she began walking. And five yards short of the finish with 10 seconds to go, she fell again. And the crowd was cheering her, and she began to crawl. And she crawled across the finish line at two hours and 44 minutes and 57 seconds. She made the Olympics by three seconds, but she made it. She finished. She continued the race and finished. Even though it took everything she had, she was determined not to quit. And we need that kind of determination to not stay in sin. To say, I'm going to get up, and if all I can do is walk, if all I can do is crawl, I am going to do that to get out of this sin. I will do whatever it takes to remove this false idol out of my life and to return to God. So are you going to walk in obedience to God's word or are you going to stumble over it? I'm going to have you bow your heads. This chapter, Hosea calls us to repent. He calls us to turn to your Lord God because you have stumbled because you're of iniquity, but take words with you and return to the Lord. The good news is God is there waiting to restore us. You may have wandered away from the Lord, and the Spirit is stirring you right now with a desire to come back. Man, get up off the track and turn and go all the way back to the Lord. He'll restore you, He'll clean off your wounds. Our calling is too important and there is too much at stake for eternity in your life and the life of this world to choose to lay on the track in our sin. Let's together return back to the Lord. Lord, we come to you and God, we confess. We confess that our iniquity has slowly eroded our walk with you. That might have taken the process of decades. It might have been just a couple of weeks. But God, as we stand before you, spiritually speaking, exposed to your awesome omniscience, you know everything about us. And your word penetrates our heart and cuts between bone and spirit and joint and marrow and judges the thoughts and intents of our heart. 
God, shine your light of holiness into our life and expose our sin. And even right now, God, I pray there would be those who know you would begin to confess and to remove and to be changed. God, I pray for the person right now who doesn't know you. Someone who might have been in church a long time, knows a lot of Christian people, might even know Bible verses, but they have never surrendered their life to you. They are still trusting in how good they are to get into eternity. I pray that you would let them know today that if that is what they are trusting in, they are not saved. That heaven is not their destination, hell is. And your wrath will be poured out upon them. And I pray today that they would trust in Christ. They would put all their trust in what Christ has done on the cross and that he received your wrath so that we could receive Christ's righteousness and we can stand forgiven in your presence. And I pray that if there's someone here today who needs to make that choice for the first time to give their life over to you, they would do it today before it's too late. The clock is ticking. And none of us are guaranteed the end of the day. And I pray that the burden on them would be so heavy they could do nothing else but turn to you. God, I ask that you would move right now in the hearts of those here at Rosemont, those watching online. And I pray that a wave of revival would move through our hearts as a body. Israel never turned to you and they were wiped out. God, we ask that that would not be our story, that we would respond to your movement right now. God, where there is pride, I pray you would melt it away in humility. Where there is anger, I pray you would replace it with joy. Where there's bitterness, I pray that you would replace that with peace. God, when there is just any aspect of our life that is not pleasing, I pray that the Holy Spirit would work in us to give us the fruit of the Spirit that would be pleasing to you. Help us respond how you would want us to. Give us the courage and the strength to do so. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Pastor Roland Kennison from Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. We pray the Lord will use this sermon to help you in your life and ministry. If you found this podcast helpful, would you consider contributing to our ministry? You can give online at www.rosemontbaptist.org forward slash give. If you live in Western Colorado or you're visiting the area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning. Our services start at 1045 a.m. You can also watch our worship service live through our website at rosemontbaptist.org. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you and he also will bring it to pass.